Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation, news, and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and he and I are recording this show on Sunday, January 24th, 2021. Okay, so how did you spend your Sunday, Drew? Uh, we went to a park, because it's about the only thing you can do in L.A., if, considering everything is locked down, mm-hmm. and... Uh, yeah, I think that's about it. It was a nice low key day. What about you, Jim? Right. You're, it's late there. I'm. Are we gonna get punchy, uh, Jim Hill tonight, oh, or what? Undoubtedly, because I I spent <laughs> today. I watched. I binged ten episodes of season three of Disenchanted. Okay, it's been a while since I last went to Dreamland. Season two became available to download off of Netflix back in September twentieth of, of two thousand nineteen. So. It, it's been 16 months between seasons before I, I take Matt Groening and the group that makes the show to task. I, I have to note that, what was it? How how long? It was 16 months between season two and season three of Rick and Morty, right? And then right. between season three and season four, it was like two years and a month. So it doesn't seem fair to beat up on the disenchanted people. I mean, I, you know, I, I think the longest distance between season... That has to go to the Venture Brothers guys. I want to say after season four, they didn't get another new season out the door for two years and seven months. So again, you know, compared to that, the the, the team that does Disenchantment is relatively speedy. Yeah. You're telling me we're lucky we we got 10 episodes of Primal in a year or this, something or two years. True. Yeah, This is true. Good things come to those who wait, I guess. And Disenchantment looks great. It's got beautiful design. It's well written. It's an amazing vocal cast. Downside, though, is this Lord of the Rings Game of Thrones parody has a really dense story and a huge cast, and it's it's kind of hard to step back into the world after 16 months. So you, as you're sitting there binging them, you know, the first episode, you know, the first two or three episodes, actually, you know, you said, oh, yeah, that character. Oh, yeah, that story. Oh, yeah. Then that's very much like watching Game of Thrones, Jim, <laughs> as I tried to remember who people were <laughs> from year to year. Is that the guy that... Uh, there you yeah. go. Yeah. There you go. And just to step back here for a sec, didn't I just hear that Venture Brothers, which supposedly got canceled, may now come back as a movie for HBO Max? Did you remember hearing it? Oh, I didn't thing? hear that. Yeah. No. I mean, that is intriguing. Yeah. For sure. I mean, that again, I think a, a lot of us were disappointed to hear that show got canceled. But if they, they're going to allow them to wrap the story, at least with the movie, that's good to hear. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, I, I, Disenchantment, I believe, is worth the effort. More to the point, we've, as we mentioned, I think, on the last show, there's still at least 10 more episodes coming. We have a season four, though I'm not sure when that will arrive. But speaking of stepping into a new world of animation, I think we talked on the last show about gr- The Great North, Bento Box's new show, debuting on Fox on January 3rd. They just reran the first episode of season one earlier tonight. And in fact, they... They put it back to back with Bob's Burgers, so it was a, a very bento box night. And they they do kind of fit hand in glove. They have same great quality of animation, same really strong vocal cast. But speaking of Bob's Burgers, I I wanted to ask what you thought about you know we how long on this show we've been talking about the Bob's Burgers movie, and in fact I think you've talked about the fact that. You'd put down money that this is never going to show up in theaters? or I'm not saying that I'm right, Jim, but I am saying I'm right. Because, <laughs> yeah, it got 
so a lot of things got reshuffled this week, mm-hmm. uh, and Bob's Burgers just got taken off the calendar yeah. altogether. I mean, just t- so unscheduled. I think is the, yes. the, the term. Conscious unscheduling, Jim. That got unscheduled, whereas Ron's Gone Wrong got pushed back from April 23rd to October 21st. So Ron's Gone Wrong has a, a locked-in date that, of course, may change, but... I mean, we've probably been talking about Ron's Gone Wrong as often as we've been talking about Bob's Burgers, or for as long as we've been talking about Bob's Burgers, but... Yeah. I was trying to find the piece earlier, and it's supposedly the Bob's Burgers people are very insistent to both Disney and the and the folks at 20th Century Animation about they want to see this in a the theater. They've worked hard and they want to see it on a big screen. But Bob's Burgers, the series on Fox, got renewed for season 11 back in May of last year. And then in September, got renewed for season 11 and season 13. So this show is guaranteed to be on the air through spring of 2023. So... It's not like the Bob's Burgers audience is going away anytime soon, but right. weren't you saying something to the effect of possibly Hulu? or Well, people have brought up Hulu, but the problem with Hulu is that Fox and HBO mm-hmm. had a pre-existing licensing partnership, mm-hmm. and so the movies from Fox would be routed through HBO before mm-hmm. hitting premium streaming channels. So Bob's Burgers on Hulu is a great idea, but I don't think... It's a, a feasible one mm-hmm. in the current structure that they've got laid out. So, okay. you know. Looking with what happened with these two animated features, do you really think Rhea is still going to make the release date on the 5th? Is it in oh, yeah. And- well, I mean, it, because it's got the Disney Plus aspect, mm-hmm. you know. I've now seen 30 minutes of Raya, mm-hmm. Jim, and I think I can talk about it since this is coming out after the embargo okay. date. So. Yeah, it's a beautiful looking movie. It's a miracle they did it, mm-hmm. mostly from home. Mm-hmm. I'm very curious to see how the story kind of plays out. Mm-hmm. But it's really gorgeous, and it has some themes that very much apply to current day. So it's it's pretty interesting. It's okay. pretty nice. Yeah, that's and all I'll say. I read a number of places about people just being startled that it really is more of an art. You know, for Disney, it's a departure because it's really, or at least the footage that was shown suggested that it's more of a martial arts movie or. Yeah, no songs. It's pretty, it's a lot of action. There's a lot of creatures mm-hmm. and it's very different, although it is very reminiscent of Moana. I would be remiss if I did not say that. Hmm. We can talk about a late, you know, after the movie comes out or closer to the date. But, okay, no, yeah. no, no, I get yeah. that. I get that. But the, the plan is in some theaters on May 5th, but premium access on that same day, right? Yes. Yeah. Premier access. Yeah. Okay. All right. And I think it was Hollywood Reporter just this week was talking about the various iterations of the MCU and and that's it. In fact, I guess Sony now has Sony Pictures universe of Marvel characters, which I'm looking at it and it's like, wow, that is one letter off from Spumco. But yeah, they were Marvel. They were mentioning Marvel has 12 theatrical releases planned through 2024. And 13 limited series for Disney+. Plus, So more limited series than, than theatrical releases. And while we're talking about Disney+, Plus, I, I, I want to ask, what, what did you make of the Pixar popcorn shorts? I, I really liked them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought they were great. I mean, the, the Coco one felt very much like a Coco dark ride mm-hmm. almost. Oh, okay. Same, same with Soul, you know. It, uh, to me, it felt very much like... Just a kind of lovely mm-hmm. 
inhabiting these worlds for a couple more minutes. Mm-hmm. And I know you were mixed on the Ducky and Bunny ones, but I, I thought those were pretty, pretty funny. Don't get me wrong. I, I, Keegan-Michael Key and, and Jordan Peele are always great fun. And Ducky and Bunny are fun characters. But it just it just sort of felt like, okay, Keegan and Jordan, Joe. Just to put them in front of the mic, let them riff for a bit. And then it's like, okay, figure out you know whether or not you can pull a decent piece of animation out of it. Well, it's funny you should say that, Joe. Because mm. I, I have some insight here Ooh, okay. as to where the audio came from. Well, please. And, okay. Yeah, I talked to the producer earlier last week mm-hmm. um, for a piece that has not come out yet, but she told me that they had to actually just sift through available audio. There was no new recording for this. Wow. Or that what they said was like new vocalizations. Okay. So that's why so many of the shorts are silent because mm-hmm. there was just no need for the actor or actress. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, they just had, there was a bunch of Toy Story 4 stuff. Mm-hmm. And if you'll notice, they are from, I think the oldest movie is maybe Finding Dory, which was, I think, 2015. Okay. So mm-hmm. they're all from the past five years, which ensured that all of the models and rigging and environments were easily accessible and new and, and wouldn't break. So there's that. They were all produced in a span of five months, which is pretty incredible. Holy cow. And they were just separate teams working and, and brainstorming about different properties and mm-hmm. what they could do. And uh, yeah, I mean, I thought I thought it worked out well. They're sort of they've sort of walked that fine line between experimentation and uh, like brand management mm-hmm. almost like, you know, like it's time to get the cars out again mm-hmm. in front of people. I thought the Incredibles ones were pretty great. I love the one with the cookie. Those were fun. I you know, and again, it was, it was it was fun to be back in the world. The Soul of the City one of the bunch was was the one I enjoyed the most. It almost felt like a poem. Yes, a beautiful little piece there. And what's interesting, if you go look at the trailers for Soul, and you'll see some of those images in there. The train making the turn was like, now where have I seen this before? Right. That's really intriguing to hear no new audio all right so yeah just so it was all just like what they had so okay well it it seems like they could probably there could probably be a ducky and bunny movie jim based Mm. on what was on the cutting room floor but um, okay now now i am that much more impressed okay yeah Um, it's pretty yeah the parameters that they made these in is is pretty fascinating and um yeah you can watch them all in 30 minutes too isn't that great only after i watched all 10 of them you know, I then get the option of, hey, you can watch these all at once. And it's like, oh, right. What a nice to have that button up front. <laughs> well, as long as we're talking about Seoul, do you want to talk about the international dubbing controversy that sort of bubbled yeah. up this week? Or Yeah, there was a big article in the New York Times about white actors dubbing in Jamie Foxx's character mm-hmm. in international versions of the movie, which... Obviously, we've seen this big kind of reckoning with mm-hmm. animated movie, animated shows this mm-hmm. year and Kristen Bell stepping away from Central Park. Mm-hmm. That was co-created by our friend of the show, Josh Gad. Hello, Ava. Hello, Ava. And Jenny Slate leaving mm-hmm. Big Mouth. I think that was the first one, actually. But yeah, I, I think so, too. When she, when she had to step away from voicing Missy for, for Big Mouth over at Netflix. But I think the thing I, I want to point out here, don't get me uh-huh. wrong, I think this is this... A genuinely serious issue, but thank you for bringing up those two shows, the recasting on Central Park and the recasting on Big Mouth, because again, that happened in June. And if there hadn't been COVID, Seoul was supposed to be out in theaters originally in June 26th of last year. 
So Soul would have been arriving into theaters just as this controversy was erupting. And Moana, the film was done in English, but Disney, in order to service all markets, they dubbed that in 46 different languages, right? Right. Okay. And they had to, in order to do that, you have to lock the movie months in advance and you have to hire the talent around the world to do this. So I think it's kind of unfair to for the New York Times to go after Disney for Soul having this issue. When, again, the movie was ready to release seven months ago. And the fact that they didn't address this issue after the fact during COVID when how much of the company is shut down? Right. I mean, going forward, I get that this is an important issue and needs to be addressed and and certainly will be. But it just it seems like as far as the reporter at the New York Times, this was kind of low hanging fruit. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know. It's weird that Soul has become this controversy magnet mm-hmm. between the idea that Joe isn't doesn't get to fully be a mm-hmm. a black human being for That's, a lot yeah, of the movie to yeah. the whole thing about Tina Fey inhabiting his voice. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of it has been sort of. I think the the uncomfortableness is is justified, but mm-hmm. it, it's also such a sweet movie, and I think you know its heart is in the right place mm-hmm. and. They went out of their ways to kind of, you know, liaison with the black community and black filmmakers as a black co-director and co-writer. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's just it, it's the latest in the soul mm-hmm. controversy wheel is this international dubbing mm-hmm. thing. And it's, it's but I get it. I get it. I do. I do. But it, again, it's just going to be interesting as we head into award season to see if this is going to trip this up. Oh, oh, we were just talking about Netflix. It's. Worth noting that Connected, which we've talked about here on the show, just this past week got bought by Netflix, but is now reverting to its old title, Mitchell and the Machines. Is that right? Mitchell's or? versus the Machines. Yeah, Mitchell versus the Machines. This is a serious, yeah, serious stuff. Yeah. Okay. But again, we we were just talking about movies that had been scheduled for certain release dates that got bumped for COVID. Back when it was called Connected, Connected was supposed to be released theatrically. September 18th of last year got bumped out to October 23rd uh, by Sony and and then uh, kind of like uh, Disney just did with Bob's Burgers. They just unscheduled it and then turned around just last week and sold it to Netflix for $110 million. That sounds right. Yes. <laughs> Didn't I read that the back and forth between Legendary and Warner's over Kong versus Godzilla, didn't they pay 150 million dollars to them? That that one was interesting because Netflix had made a run at Kong versus Godzilla mm-hmm. before the announcement that everything was going to HBO Max. Okay, so from Legendary's point of view, they turned down the Netflix mm-hmm. thing because they thought it was going to have a theatrical release via Warner Brothers, mm-hmm. and now it doesn't. So that that was where that back and forth uh, happened. And, okay. and I suspect what happened with Connected slash Mitchells versus the Machines mm-hmm. is that there were some actors or producers, you know, this is produced by Lord and Miller, mm-hmm. who had profit participation. Oh. Um, and so when you buy a movie outright for streaming, you have to pay out mm-hmm. the profit participation ahead of time, even though, you know, it's n- not actually making any money but mm-hmm. it seems like like Sony and, and Netflix have a great relationship because mm-hmm. Sony provided the animation along with Pearl Studios mm-hmm. for Over the Moon 
and they bought Wish Dragon. So I think what I'm trying to say, Jim, is mm. we might all be watching Vivo mm. in the comfort of our homes later this year. So <laughs> okay, yeah, okay. <laughs> Speaking of 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 Netflix, I don't know if you saw the the piece in the trades last week about uh, Reed Hastings, the co-founder, chairman, and co-CEO of Netflix, reaffirming that that streaming service has made it a conscious decision to go after Disney in regard to animation supremacy. And again, Mitchelson versus the machines, I, I guess, could be considered part of that. But what do you make of the, the big Oscar push for Over the Moon? Well, I think it's warranted. I think it's a really wonderful movie. And I think that if you have a Glenn Keane movie, you have to do it. I think it also is sort of saying to other animators and other animated projects mm-hmm. that... They are serious, that they will handle your property well. Mm-hmm. So I'm all for it. I, I loved Over the Moon. I've watched it a few times mm-hmm. uh, since it hit Netflix. I'm enough of a fan of the film that just in the past week, I found out that there was an, uh, there's an art of book. It's an art of the, uh, Over the Moon, Illuminating the June a Journey that I guess Titan Books published back in November of last year. Chased down a copy of that. Not only that, uh, chased down a copy of... The Art of Wolfwalkers, which I was genuinely pleased to see Charles Solomon. Yeah, and our, our buddy Leonard Malton wrote the uh, Over the Moon one. That's right. So, that's right. So, some, some heavy hitters in the Disney historian uh, category. Obviously, if they want some new blood and somebody else who's written a uh, art of book, I'm available, Jim. The phone is... As you talked about working on this thing, between the deadline and... <laughs> well, again, when you went up and had to interview basically everybody on the film, like in a day, didn't you? Or yeah, yeah, it was a it was a couple of days, but yeah, it was it was it was all crammed in there, Jim. But you know what? Hopefully, hopefully people enjoy it. I hope it. I still owe you. I gotta send you your copy. I, you know, I, ended I up was driving going back to, to politely not bring it up. <laughs> I have a hole in my bookshelf for the the autograph <laughs> copy that is yet yes. to be returned. But, I know, but I'm not bitter. Well, you know, it, there was a change of plans, and you know, we ended up driving back. So I still, I have your copy here; it's ready to go. I, I was more concerned about again, you, Katie, and Nova breaking down in, in the frozen tundra and having to use it for fuel to stay warm. Yeah, kindling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. As long as we're talking about Academy Awards and that sort of thing, I think it was on the last show you brought up to Jared, the new DreamWorks animation yeah. short, and you were like, "You have to go see that." And oh my god. That thing is so ridiculously sweet and charming. Yeah, it's really lovely. Yeah, it'll it'll put a lump in your throat. No, Jim, I'll tell a- you. yeah, absolutely. And it sort of shares a world with Pixar's Presto from two thousand eight. Yeah. That one's a, a wonderful slapstick fest. Whereas yes. this one is this real Valentine to close magic. The director Taylor Meacham. I, I got to find out if, if, you know, in fact, uh, you may get the chance to talk to him or. We might have him on the show. I'm working on it, Jim. Cool, cool. All so, right. Yeah. Because the, the close magic in this thing is amazing. I mean, it's just somebody who, who really has a love for that medium, that area of prestidigitation, just did an astounding job with the animation in this thing. And, and right. but, but at the same time. It's a bigger story than that. Well, like Soul, it's a, it's also a love letter to um, mentorship. Yes, yes. People believing in mm. you and you know going out of their way to try to teach you something. Mm-hmm. Um, no. It's really lovely. No, no, definitely worth checking Jason down, folks. If you if you, 
You don't have Peacock. But by the way, we were puzzling about this, whether or not when uh, Crude's A New Age was out in theaters, whether or not Jared was out in front of it. Yeah, no, no clue. Okay, no I, clue. I'm hoping that one of our listeners may have seen yeah. Crude's a, a New Age in theaters. And have we'll, you watched Crude's, Jim? I did some of my homework. I did. You okay. know, Disenchantment, 10 episodes. I watched, Just yesterday, I watched eight episodes of season two of Camp Cretaceous. Jim, nobody's asking you about Camp Cretaceous. We've, we're asking you about Crude's A New Age. I, you gotta you see know, it. And Wolf Walkers. I gotta see and that. Wolf Walkers. I get the book. I get the book. Okay. <sighs> um, all right. And speaking of things I have not watched, when we get back from this commercial break, uh, Drew's going to tell uh, us about the Fortnite film. So now, what is the deal with the, the Fortnite crew? Uh, apparently, I mean, it's the, the the developer and publisher of, of Fortnite, which, mm. Jim, you you telling me to take this um, story is mm. you thinking that I am a much younger man who plays more <laughs> video games than I actually do. Besides, I've been ha- we've been having a a weekly Mario Kart game over Zoom every Friday night, literally since the pandemic began. So we are about to celebrate the one-year anniversary of our weekly Mario Kart game. Wow, okay. But, so the Fortnite developer Mm -hmm. and publisher Epic Games has a new Gilgamesh Mm -hmm. feature film, and it's being produced by a Latin American studio called Hookup Mm -hmm. and two Argentinian firms called Duerma Vela and Film Sharks. Mm -hmm. And it'll use some of... The I guess video game engine that the that Epic Games has pioneered to tell the story of the king turned de- deity Gilgamesh, um, who is immortalized mm-hmm. in the Odyssey and Iliad, the Homer Homer's epic poems. So I'm getting some kind of whiffs of Prince of Egypt, which I don't think is ever a good thing. But um, <laughs> you know, we will we will see. I'm going to reserve judgment until we get some footage, till we we get yes. some concept art, but. Sounds like a, a very ambitious take on, on yeah, a on nice the little story, manageable. Story there we go. You know, two people going yeah. out on a date. No, yeah, it's, yeah. All right. Well, I want you after you finish listening to this podcast to hop on Google. You want to first type in the name Mike Disa, and that's D I S A, and then you want to include dwarves. D W A R F S. Because a, I, I'm not sure how long this footage is going to remain online, but it's the test that was done for the Dwarves movie a trilogy, Dwarves movie trilogy, I want to stress here, for Disney Toon Studios back in 2005, 2006. Am I, I correct about that? Or? Yeah. Yeah, around okay. then. All right. Because it's an amazing piece of animation that takes... The Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, well, actually, just two of the characters uh, from, from the 1937 film. They've got Dopey, and they've got Grumpy, and the whole conceit of it is Grumpy is trying to trick Dopey into talking, because wasn't that the whole point of the, the Dwarves movie? This was one we we were going to find out why Dopey didn't talk? Yeah, well, I mean, I remember that piece of concept art where <laughs> it was grumpy i think in the kind of like in the throne it was it was a riff on the conan no totally uh, thing of conan totally right? yes it, it, yeah. it's grumpy in the exact pose at the end of the first conan movie you know suggesting right. the, the where the rest of the, the series King conan kind of there moment, we go right yeah. yeah 
And Drew and I have talked about this in the past, how, you know, you'll be at Disney and for a press event or, or, or something, and you'll go to the bathroom and then on the way back, get turned around. Yeah. It's a terrible affliction. It Jim. is. We should it probably is. have it looked at. Looked I, at, I but, agree. Yeah. You just poor center direction. You'll wrong, wander down the wrong hallway or make a wrong turn. And I was in the Frank Wells building one day and got lost coming back to the bathroom and ended up in the pod for Disney Toon Studios and got to see the beat board for Chicken Little 2, the Ugly Duckling story. Uh, also, there was a sequence where a teenage Marie from the Aristocats had fallen overboard from an ocean liner from, I guess, I remember that. Uh, the yeah. Aristocats too. And then finally, again, here was this giant beat board, including that very same piece of art you're talking about, the grumpy as Conan thing, but it was laying out the entire trilogy for dwarves, which was again, going to be done in CG. That's why I want you to go take a look at this. My Disa test. Cause it, they really do manage to do a decent job of taking these 2D characters and changing them into some really lovely uh, 3D. Yeah, it, they look. It looks great. I mean, it, it's. It was a couple of years after Mickey's PhilharMagic, so I feel like that was kind. Of, there was something in the air over there about turning these characters into 3D versions. But I, I thought it was beautiful. I mean, I was just watching the way that that Grumpy's beard was moving. Oh. I mean, this tells you how much of a pervert I am. But, you know, that's the <laughs> well, kind of no, thing that I'm just, looking at. You know, I mean, it's it's the fact that they took that Fred Moore style animation and yeah. actually made it work in CG. Though, I guess we do have to, to explain why this project got shut down. That, that, and in a weird sort of way, it's we can lay it at the feet of, of John Lasseter, who... What can't we lay at the feet of John Lasseter these days, Jim? Well, I want to say that both the Disney Fairies home premiere series and Dwarves got underway in 2005. Disney buys Pixar in January of 2006 for $7.4 billion. For me, it was always strange to watch how Lasseter had this sort of, I don't want to say love-hate relationship with with disney to instead because face it i mean he did we got planes which he seemed very proud of right you know as an expansion of the cars universe and he got very hands-on with the disney fairies series in fact i, I think a little it, too hands-on probably Jim, if you know, from what we've heard <laughs> i did not want to set that up okay <laughs> But yeah, I think he was responsible for Brittany Murphy, who had originally been announced to be the voice of, of Tinkerbell. She was removed in May of 2008, and they brought in Mae Whitman as uh, Tinkerbell. And, and it's not like he killed Disney fairies outright. There were six of those things produced before, I, I think it was Tinkerbell and the Never Beast was the last one that made it out the door. But uh, But yeah, he just did not care for the idea of the dwarves film and it, you know, the project began to stall out once Lasseter came through the door. So what, what did you, what did you get a sense of what the story was going to be for these? It was going to be a prequel. There were a couple of key questions, I guess that were going to get answered. Like there's always that moment in snow white where snow white mentions her stepmother, the queen. And 
you get this big reaction from the dwarves as if they know who the queen is. Right. And to the effect of, oh no, the queen. You know, so this was going to fill in that part of the story. Uh, You know, how do they know the witch? Or for that matter, why does the queen insist on putting on a disguise to go to the dwarves' house? So all of this stuff was going to get addressed. But I think the very flip attitude, the gag after gag after gag that they do here, doesn't reflect the trilogy they were trying to set up. Every time I talk with somebody at Disney about it, they're like, yeah, this is the Seven Dwarfs by way of Lord of the Rings. And it was like, right. what? But it does seem like the kind of smart-ass marketing thing that Oh, no, no, absolutely. Going around I mean, time. in fact, you know, that if you, you pay attention to the opening, it's... It's what is it? It's grumpy on the phone. It's a birdie. I'm a professional. I'll take care of this. And it's just sort of like, okay, I I don't remember the dwarves having a phone or for that matter, having an urgent agent named Bernie. But by the way, (laughs) the other thing, supposedly the big deal of this film was we were going to get to see Dopey talk and then we're going to find out why he doesn't talk now. Something we've all been wondering about Jim for so many years. (laughs) I'm just going to put a couple of issues out there, you know, PSTD. Right. That something really bad happened to Toby. But the interesting thing is this wasn't the first time this character talked. In fact, you can go online right now, go on YouTube, because I, I know Disney made a professionally produced videotape version of this thing that they ran on the Disney Channel. But have you ever seen the Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs live on stage, the Radio City Music Hall thing? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> right. When, when you're finished with your Mario Kart thing, you know, some night fire this up. It's Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs done as a stage show on Radio City, you know, and the giant stage of Radio City Music Hall. So, you know, they bring a full-size horse on stage, you know, when, you know, it's time for Snow White, to, you know, to ride off with her prince And what's interesting is it's at that exact moment that Dopey, for the first time, talks. But he only says one thing. He says goodbye. So this whole time he's been holding out on us. He could talk. Well, again, isn't it Doc that says he can talk? He just doesn't want to. But anyway, that, that was produced summer of 79 at Radio City. And speaking of the 70s, Dale Bear started at Disney Studio back in 71. Dale, we, we, we lost him last week at their boats on uh, January 15th. And did you see what the last movie he was working on was, Jim? Yeah. The Bob's Burgers movie. <laughs> wow. So now it has to come out, Jim. No, no. Yes, yes, it Dale's does. last movie, yeah. Yeah, but you and I were talking a little bit, and we both figured we, we actually got to talk with him for Winnie the Pooh, right? Because uh, he, yes. he did... Owl for that film back when, when Colin Ferguson was, was voicing the character. Do you remember anything from you getting to sit down with him? Or I don't. I mean, I just remember what was so special about mm-hmm. that movie was that it was like a murderer's row of the greatest oh. sort of animators of that generation. Um, just because it was like the last one, you know, it was the, the last kind of hurrah. Mm-hmm. You know, Eric and I forget who else, but it, I mean, it was it was crazy. Mark Hen, it, I mean, just nuts, the talent that was on that movie. And Dale was one of them. Yeah. And you mentioned the Murderer's Row thing. And it's like when you talk with Eric Goldberg about how he handled Rabbit for that film, he talked about how he sort of filtered Rabbit through Jack Lemon. I do remember that, yeah. Yeah, you know, the, the notion kind of a, a Felix Ungary, you know, Rabbit and Tom Kenny. Tom had, had so much fun doing that take on Rabbit, whereas 
Dale's owl in that film is crazed. I mean, you know, just the combination of Colin Ferguson's read on, on you know, how that character behaves and then to see what they then, well, uh, Eric, of course, did a wonderful job with the Baxen song in, in that yes. film. But that's bookended by these wonderful pieces of animation of Owl by Dale, who just, you know, again, took the energy level that Colin brought to the table and just amped it up so you get that much crazier an Owl. But Dale would do all sorts of, of, of research prior to, to animating. I mean, his, his, his stuff, there was a, a level of craft to it that was just stunning and... I remember when I get to talk with him for, for one of the who I brought up the fact that I had so enjoyed his work on Alameda Slim for Home on the Range. And he kind of opened like a flower uh, when I said that and started talking about how the yodeling song from the film where, where Alameda has this sort of elaborate dance number. And Dale went and watched every heavy set comedian who was light on his feet. So we're talking Laurel, you know, Oliver Hardy of Laurel and Hardy. We're talking about Jackie Gleason and just watched hours and hours of that fit footage to, to how does, how does a fat man dance? And, and particularly one who's really light on his feet. And that all filtered through that number. And, and I love the animation on that so much. I, I must circle back on, on that bit on YouTube every couple of months. Cause it just makes me smile. But yeah, I, I, I guess it's important to talk about Dale's career with Disney. You know, he was born out in Colorado in June of, of 1950, and he had a family who lived in California. In fact, I, the uh, Amy Astley at, at Disney PR was was nice enough to share the, um, the the tribute that Howard Green put together. And he took Howard tells the story about I guess when Dale was out visiting his grandparents in California, he pleaded with his grandfather to park inside of Disney Studios so he could just sort of stare up at the building. He was determined to work at Disney. And in fact, you know, lucked into, he was uh, accepted into Disney's, the very first uh, animation training program. And he was what, the, the number two applicant? Yeah. I mean, he worked on Robin Hood in 73. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> he was a, a guy who would come and go from Disney. I mean, he he worked on Rescuers. He worked on Pete's Dragon. He then left Disney. And he worked with Richard William in commercials. He worked with Ralph Bashke on Lord of the Rings. In fact, there was a lovely tribute that Ralph put out there that, you know, they only worked on the one film, but they stayed friends for the rest of their lives. He did one of my favorite animated characters in a live action movie, which is the... The Danny DeVito voiced cat yes, yes. detective and last action hero. You were just, you were talking about that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> You've written a couple of wonderful things about Roger Rabbit. And face it, the entire film kind of builds to Toontown. When they were working on uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, when Richard Williams had that, that crew of animators in London, they were so far behind schedule that they had, they had no choice in order to make their previously locked in release date. Cause they'd already set that co cross promotional deal with what both McDonald's and diet Coke. Yes. It's like correct. this movie will open on this date or somebody, you know, in fact, I, I wasn't it Jeffrey Gatsover who threatened Don Hahn with, you know, this film will open on that date or I think he they're, they're in New York. 
you know, and Jeffrey walks Don over to Windwood, points to some guy in the street shoveling asphalt. It's like, this movie's on one time, or that's your next job. Yeah. So you know, the only way they could do that is they, they hired an outside studio to do the Toontown stuff. And and that was Bear Animation. That was at the studio that, that Dale and his, his first wife, Jane, set up. And uh, yeah. they did 11 minutes of animation. Yeah, he. I think he was the most senior American mm. animator mm-hmm. on that movie. Because everybody was in England mm-hmm. doing most of it, right? I mean, obviously, we, we've talked about Williams and his crew out there. And mm-hmm. with with a lot of Disney animators. I think Andreas was in England He as was, well. he was, yeah. Right, yeah. So, but I think, yeah. I think I read somewhere that Dale was the like most senior American animator on that movie, which is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. But Who Framed Roger Rabbit wouldn't have worked if Toontown hadn't paid off. And the fact that if you think about how many different model sheets or how many historic characters you had to work off of, plus get the look, plus match animation that's being done in London. Yeah. It was an impossible task that he pulled off brilliantly and I think you know that when the film initially came out and it was being as praised as it was, they really downplayed the fact that Bear Studios had done the Toontown section. Though I think if you're reading the credits closely enough, you can kind of make out that, wait a minute. I think that's interesting that you bring that up because I feel like he was always in that position Mm -hmm. of kind of like thankless tasks that end up producing great results. Like, you know, he took over... Isma from mm-hmm. Andreas, mm-hmm. who Andreas's version of the character was very different, and you can see that in the the Sweatbox documentary. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's beautiful work, yeah. but yeah. I mean, Dale did an amazing job, and that character is just so beautifully designed and mm-hmm. and animated and perfect for that movie. And you know, that was a thankless job. I mean, no animator wants to take over somebody else's character, mm-hmm. and he did it, and he made a classic Disney villain. Oh yeah, Isma to this day, just you know, so effort. I mean, you know, that, that wonderful scene stealing character, and right, he returns to Disney full time in 1998, and he's working on those last set of sets of of Candron films, you know, Home on the Range, and. Then it's, again, like Nick Renner is one of those guys who steps in and does CG with Chicken Little and Meet the Robinsons, but at the same time still has a strong enough skill set that when Lasseter comes through the door and, hey, we're reviving Handron, it's like, okay, back to Princess and the Frog. And and the shorts, too. I mean, he he worked on Get a Horse and the 2D animation there and also How to Hook Up Your Home Theater, which his version of Goofy, I think. You know, you can place alongside side any of the classic shorts, and it's just perfect. Absolutely. But anyway, he he retires from Disney in 2015, but is is often the case. Kept getting lured back for special projects, and I, I'm I, I'm kind of intrigued by this thing that Howard notes that his last assignment for Disney was animating Ursula and LeFou. For Tokyo Disneyland. For what? Well, that's the thing. We'll have to reach out to his daughter, Nicole, who supposedly in between on, on this project. I, it, if it were just LeFou, it's like, okay, is there an actual animation in the new Beauty and the Beast ride? Or But the fact that it's- I haven't personal. watched the ride-through film yet, Jim. No spoilers. <laughs> we, were uh, supposed uh, to go okay. to, we were supposed to go to Japan this year for our, our honeymoon. Oh, that's right. Oh. You know, so okay. <laughs> I'm still holding out hope one day. Okay. All right. Then we won't talk about it. Just to swing back to uh, Dale Bear. Uh, he's survived by his wife, Teddy, and his two lovely daughters, Nicole and Clarice. 
And in lieu of flowers, the family has suggested that contributions be sent to the ALS Association. But again, sad to lose the guy, huge talent, and to just watch friends and his associates that work with him, like Eric Goldberg, you know, come forward. That Dale was one of the very few special animators who was honored to know him, chat with him, and work with him. He was trained by the golden generation of animators. You know, you want to talk about mentoring. John Lonsberry was his mentor and was watching Twitter for the past week of the number of young animators who came forward, who talked about how they would go into Dale's office. They'd be working on something and Dale could look at what you were working on and give you that one little piece of advice that turned it all around. So he will be missed. I mean, he is a true legend and mm-hmm. I uh, kind of under, you know, underrated, mm-hmm. underheralded in his day. Yep. Yep. All right. So that's going to do it. For this week for fine-tuning, and hopefully uh, Drew and I will be back with a brand new installment next week. But in the meantime, <laughs> if folks are looking for you know entertaining stuff to listen to, uh, where are we now, Drew? Have we started the Light the Wick series officially? No, that'll be at the end of January. Okay. Um, we're still recording episodes of Light the Wick, mm-hmm. and my co-host Charles is about to have another baby. You were about to so say that. It's wow. all a it's it's a big scramble, mm-hmm. Jim, right now. Okay. But it's it'll be fun. It'll be really really cool. Um, yeah. So okay, check it out. I'm sure I will I will make note of when that is happening. Okay. For reels on this podcast, but and yeah, anything but, particularly no- worth noting? I mean, you, you always have so many great guests for Light the Fuse. Um, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, just this week we talked to get to, again to Paul Hirsch. Um, really? Which will be out later this spring. Yeah. Oh. He He's just wonderful, and it's a, he he tell he tells us this is what I'll teach you. Mm-hmm. He tells us about a John Hughes script that mm-hmm. he was going to direct mm-hmm. that I've never heard r- talked about or written about ever. That sounded so funny and fascinating. Hmm. So that is something that is really special that I can't wait for people to hear. Holy so, cow. Okay. Yeah. All right. Woof. Okay. Well, that, that, that sounds like a show going out of way, uh, your way to hear. Our side of the fence, we got Disney Ish with Glenn Testa and uh, Aaron Adams. He and I are going to be recording a brand new Marvel Us. And we're going to talk about WandaVision and... Need to get a new Universal Joint out the door with Dustin Fuse. Hopefully, we'll be recording that this week. Likewise, a new uh, I Want That with, with Shelley Valladolid. Uh, tell you what, folks, if you could do a Drew and I a favor, if you get out over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review not only Light the Fuse, but also the podcast you're listening to right now, Fine Tuning, to get out over to Bandcamp and subscribe, that would be helpful. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram as Jim Hill Media and on Facebook at Jim Hill Media News. On on behalf of uh, Mr. Taylor, thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week.